ومن تبعهم بإحسان لا يوم الدين أما بعد فعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من نفس عن مؤمن كربة من كرب الدنيا نفس الله عنه كربة من كرب يوم القيامة ومن يسر على معسر يسر الله عليه في الدنيا والآخرة ومن ستر مسلما ستره الله تعالى في الدنيا والآخرة والله في عون العبد ما كان العبد في عون أخيه ومن سلك طريقا يلتمس فيه علما سهل الله له به طريقا إلى الجنة ومجتمع قوم في بيت من بيوت الله يتلون كتاب الله ويتدارسونه بينهم إلا نزلت عليهم السكينة وغشيتهم الرحمة وحفتهم الملائكة وذكرهم الله في من عنده ومن بطأ به عمله لم يسرع به نسبه رواه مسلم بهذا اللفظ الحمد لله brothers and sisters we're continuing with the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah and we've reached hadith number 36 inshallah we're headed to the completion of this book and inshallah when we complete this book I want to ask everybody their recommendations if they have any particular you know, uh, recommendations regarding any subject or any aspect of the life of the Prophet وسلم, that they would like to learn about. I know that when we have a lot of people who listen, some people listening actually from out of state, and they show a lot of interest, so they have actually mentioned some uh, uh, subject you know, regarding the seerah, that after with the completion of this, we should do that. And actually, we actually have covered that the Shama'il of Imam al-Nawawi, we get this a lot that we want to know about, you know, what are the specific things the Prophet did on a, on a daily basis, you know, what did he eat and what did he, you know, all the various different specifics and particular aspects of his life, I've been asked about that. But because we've covered that previously and we have all the recordings, if anybody wants to hear any of the old recordings, you can actually go to nurinstitute.com nurinstitute.com we have a YouTube channel as well and we have all the separate website YouTube channel all of these lectures are actually there you can listen to the entire book from cover to cover so with that being said if anybody you know we, we can maybe put like a you know people can write on a piece of paper put it in a box and you know we can see what are the various options or maybe everybody can text Khidarjan and uh, we can get the uh, uh, you know options and different recommendations of what is the next subject that we want to study in regards to the seerah, in regards to the hadith of the Prophet Because the Saturday night durus, the Saturday night classes, we dedicated specifically to everything related to the Prophet This night, Saturday night, the talks, I dedicate, we actually have a title for the Saturday night lectures, Reflections of the Beloved. That's what these Saturday night bayans are. They are reflections of the beloved. Whatever is related to our beloved Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whether it be his shama'il, whether it be his khasail, whether it be from his, you know, specific aspects of his life, uh, or his hadith, or his words. Uh, so this, uh, in, in, you know, this Saturday night lectures are, you know, regarding that. With that being said, this compilation, as we mentioned previously, Every single hadith in, these, in this compilation, it goes back to a specific fundamental in the religion. In other words, any hadith that you pick up 
from the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, this is a fundamental principle in the deen. That, you know, I feel that it is not appropriate that any Muslim should be unaware of these fundamental principles. And after the studying of this 40 hadith, these 40, you can say, traditions or statements of the Prophet ﷺ, you can get like a general idea of the teachings of Islam. If somebody were to ask, you know, where can I see, what are the general teachings, you know, what was the teaching of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. If somebody were to ask me, I would say, read the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. This is, these are what encapsulates the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ in one place, you can see that in the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, the teachings of Sayyidina Muhammad ﷺ. With that being said, let us continue hadith number 36. And the previous hadith, we were discussing an amazing, uh, every hadith in this, in, in this book is amaz amazing. But the previous hadith, just to go over, the Prophet ﷺ, I, you know, consider this hadith is that if we were to implement this in our society, if we were to implement this in our community, if we were to implement this in, amongst our families, just imagine, then that your community, your society, your country would become a utopia. It would become Jannat on earth. This, the previous hadith we did last week. And the next hadith that we're doing has a bit of a correlation. It has to do with حقوق ibad. There are two specific rights of uh, that what, what Islam demands of us. If, I were, if, if, if somebody were to ask you, what does Islam demand of you? As a Muslim, what, what are you required to do? We are required and we will, ask, we will be asked about two particular departments. Hukukullah wa hukukul ibad. Our creator who created us, he has certain rights upon us. And our creation and the people that we interact with on an everyday basis, our parents, our relatives, our siblings, our spouses, our children, our neighbors, Muslims, non-Muslims, people who are in our community, people that we deal with on a daily basis, people who sit next to us. I mean, imagine the comprehensiveness of Islam that Islam has, give, has made rights binding upon you on the person sitting next to you. Meaning the person who literally is at your side. Yani that person has haq upon you. So it's an interesting thing, sahib bil jam. Some people have, uh, mufassireen have uh, uh, explained this to be neighbor. And some have even explained it that somebody who's traveling with you and he's just sitting on your, on your other side, literally. Yani imagine the comprehensiveness of a religion. Imagine the comprehensiveness of a path and a life, a, 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 a lifestyle that requires you to even have courtesy and be thoughtful of the one that you sit next to. It's mind-boggling. We can never, we can never, under, the more you study Islam, the more you see that it is an it is a, it is a ocean without a shore. The more you study it, the more you realize that this is divine. Because a religion that requires you to take into consideration the courtesy of the person who is sitting next to you, it's mind-boggling to me. The more I read, the more I realize that I am, I am nothing, I am worthless. 
I haven't understood anything and I have no practice in my life. Literally. And we have to, I mean, we have to criticize ourselves. You know, we do the opposite when we're learning. We put ourselves up that I know this and I have achieved this and I have accomplished this. But in actuality, the more you learn, you realize you haven't accomplished anything. You haven't even understood anything. You haven't even reached the tip of the iceberg in this religion, in this path of life. I don't like to use the word religion because religion is kind of like, more like dogmatic. Islam is not dogmatic. It's a way of life that encompasses every aspect of your being, every aspect of your essence. So with that being said, the previous, we were talking about, you know, the, the Islam requires of us, demands of us, that which is the rights of the people we interact with and that which is the rights of our Creator. And this is where we find a fundamental misunderstanding in people, especially Muslims. Muslims have a fundamental misunderstanding in this. What do they say? Why does God need me to pray? I'm a very good person. I'm kind to my neighbors. And I'm, I, I never stole a single dollar or a single penny from anybody. You guys probably heard this a lot. I don't need to wear hijab because I have a very good heart. I, 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 I treat people with kindness. I have never harmed a soul. I will not even hurt an ant. Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to do hajj? Why do I need to give zakat? I'm just such a good person. And there's nothing wrong with that statement that is wonderful. Keep on being a good person, but you are half complete. You are completed half. The other half of your deen, you are actually making um, a mockery of it. You're actually making a, 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 you know, respectfully, a lame excuse. Why? Because just as I explained, there's two requirements for a Muslim to be complete. One is the requirement that we have towards the creation. Yes, you're a kind person. You're a good person. You're doing good to others. But what about the, per what about the one who gave you existence? He does not have a right upon you? The one who gave you life, the one who gave you this body by which you are doing all of these good things, he does not have a right upon you. The one who gave you life, the one who gave you these bounties and these gifts, the one who gave you your heart, your sight, وَجَعَلَ لَكُمُ السَّمْعَ وَالْأَبْصَارَ وَالْأَفْئِدَةَ قَلِيلًا مَّا تَشْكُرُونَ Allah says, and He gave you sight, and He gave you hearing, and He gave you understanding and perception. How little do you thank Him? So this in reality, the other aspect of it is, anybody who has any sense of reason and common sense, it will require you that you fulfill the right of the one who created you. And you know, why this is a... The person seems like he's a very righteous, you know, self-righteous. I'm fulfilling the rights of everybody. But in reality, you know, the common sense, logic, and reason, it demands you to thank someone who has done a favor to you. Someone who has done a favor to you, is that not the demand of common courtesy? Is that, that, that the demand of kindness and, you know, compassion and just being a good human being, that if somebody does a kindness to you, you should return that kindness and that favor, at least by thanking them. So imagine that Creator who has drowned us, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself says in the Quran, وَأَسْبَغَ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعَمَهُ ظَاهِرَةً وَبَاطِنًا 
Allah has showered upon you His bounties externally and internally. Right now, as we sit, there are organs in our body that are working just right involuntarily without us even knowing it. That right now, if those internal systems would not be functioning, we would not be able to sit here right now. And I know that because my son, you know, he went through a long sickness. He went through long chemotherapy. I see exactly what the human body is capable of and what happens when that human body and that one system is not working. What happens to a person? And you realize this creator, subhanAllah, there's literally hundreds of systems inside of our body that are working right now, that we are capable of sitting. Right now, he's not capable of sitting with us. He's not. We are capable of sitting. Why? Because there are systems in your body that are working. They're working inside of you, and you don't even know it, you don't even realize it, and you are not even grateful of it. To me, this person, this is the meaning of kafir. This is kafir. Like literally, the word of unbeliever or disbeliever in the Quran is actually an ingrate. An ingrate. That is what kafir means. We don't use the word unbeliever or disbeliever in the Quran. There's no thing like, like those people who la yu'minun. There is la yu'minun as well. Those who do not believe. But the word for them Allah uses is kafir. This is the epitome of what Allah detests. And it's the epitome of what we detest. It's the epitome of what we detest. Imagine that you show kindness to someone. How many of you are parents already? Many of you are parents already. You will, under, you will know this later in your life. When you have given so much for your children, and then your children maybe turn away from you, or don't say thank you to you, and you're actually teaching your kids from day one, say thank you, say thank you, say jazakallah like you, You're demanding of, it even, demanding it of them even from day one. And it hurts so much as a parent when you see your own children that you've done so much for them and they don't even regard you. Now imagine your creator. Parents are nothing. What do we do? We don't do anything in comparison to what Allah has done for us. So we have, to make a long story short, I don't want to go off of too much on a tangent, but for us to understand, we have the rights of Allah, which through common sense and reason, we owe Him. Not because He needs it, but because we need it. Because your common courtesy, your being a human being, demands that of you. That if somebody does an act of righteousness to you, an act of kindness to you, you should go out of your way to thank that person. Imagine somebody saves your life. What do we say if somebody you're like standing in the road and somebody pushes you out of the way before getting run over by a car? What do we say? Oh man, I owe you my life. Isn't that what we say? If somebody saves your life, you say, oh man, I owe you my life. What can we imagine now? That one who gave us life. We owe him our life. That's why when people don't, when people, right, they don't understand this concept of what it is, Islam is this submission. They don't want to submit. It's too difficult to submit my life, but to me it's not that difficult. When you really understand who's the one who gave you life. There was a friend of mine who was struggling with Islam. He said, I don't know if I could do it. There's too much requirements. He was telling me, there's too much requirements. Too many do's and don'ts. I don't like do's and don'ts. He was very, very, uh, how do you say, honest. This is the reason why a majority of people don't want to accept Islam. They don't want somebody telling them what to do and what not to do. They want to be free. So then I told him, I said, what if somebody were to let you borrow their car? 
And he says, I don't want you to drive it more than this mileage. I don't want you to take it out in the night. I don't want you to drive it at traffic time. I don't want you to do this. You just use it for this, and then you bring it back to me with a full tank. I said, what do you say? He said, yeah, I have to fulfill everything. I said, why? He said, it's not, the car doesn't belong to me. I said, yeah, and the body don't belong to you either. You're renting it out right now. This body is a rental. You're going to give it back to its owner. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We are from Allah, and to Allah we shall return. So it requires you to stick to what He demanded from you, to do what He asked of you, because this, doesn't even, this body doesn't even belong to you. So when you're saying, I, I can't do all these do's and don'ts, it's like somebody letting, letting them borrow the car and say, I don't need all this, man. I'm just going to use the car for whatever I want to use it. I'll drive it on the freeway. I'll, you know, off-road it. I'll do, you know, whatever, whatever I want to do. Why are, you putting all this, why are you putting all this on me, bro? Why you got to put all this on me? What do you mean put all this on you? This is my car. I don't want you to drive it like this. It's not your car. So with that being said, these are the rights of Allah and the rights of the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the previous hadith, look at this utopian society. Listen to this utopian society. The Prophet said, La tahasadu, wa la tamajashu, wa la tabagadu. Do not be jealous of one another. And do not dispel one another and put off one another. Do not hate one another. Do not turn your backs to one another. Do not cheat one another in your buying and selling. And be brothers in Islam, brothers and sisters, as one, slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A Muslim is the brother of another Muslim. He does not do injustice to him. And he does not disgrace him. And he does not lie to him. And he does not put him down and humiliate him. And remember that taqwa is here. Piety is here. And the Prophet ﷺ, he pointed to his chest three times. In other words, you don't need to have some external show of piety because true piety is in the heart of a person. Nobody, you don't ever judge anybody. This is what the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us. Never judge anybody from their appearance because the true piety, at-taqwa ha-huna. Taqwa, true piety is here, not in the external. And then he says, Muslim. It is sufficient evil for a person. Because you know, we, we know about evil. We hear about evil, right? What is evil? Is it, is it drinking alcohol? Is it fornicating? Is it robbing people? Is it stealing from people? Is it cheating people? Is it, you know, usurping people's wealth? What is evil? All of that, right? But look at what the Prophet ﷺ said. Let's say you don't do any of that. You don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't rob, you don't steal, you don't kill, you, don't, you do nothing of that. You're a clean person. But one thing you have, and what is that? You look down upon others. You look down upon other human beings. The Prophet said that the one who looks down upon his brother it is sufficient evil for a person. You don't need any of that other evil. You don't drink, you don't kill, you don't murder, you don't party, you don't drink alcohol, you don't, 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 the whole list. All you need is one evil to destroy you. This is so powerful, my dear brothers and sisters. We, we really have not understood the teachings of the Prophet 
The teachings of the Prophet Muhammad is the highest level of morality that a person can reach. There is no higher level than this. Look at what he's saying. You don't, 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 don't. The whole list of don'ts, you don't do any of that. You're a clean, clean person. But one thing you have, and that is in your heart, you look at other people with disdain. What is this person? This person is a low life. This is a low life. This person is a this or this. In your mind and in your heart, you have a hatred or a disdain for someone. It is sufficient evil to destroy you. That in your heart, you should have disdain for another human being. That's it. Now you imagine, my dear brothers and sisters, when I, when I think about these teachings, everything, all the pieces of the puzzle fall together. Because then I wonder to myself, from a logical perspective, how did the companions of the Prophet, how did Islam spread throughout the entire world in like less than a century? In a century, it spread from Spain all the way to China and to North Africa. And as far as Afghanistan, in the life of Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan and Sayyidina uh, Umar ibn Khattab, it's, it's spent all, already in the corners of, of Afghanistan. And in the, 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 some say that in China, the grave of Saad bin Abi Waqqas is there. I've heard that. Uncle Bashir, I think you had visited, was it the, it was somewhere in China, that they say the graves of some of the companions are even there. Mainland China. Some of the graves of the companions have been found even there. Companions. So that means that this was not so far from the time of the Prophet. How I'm thinking to myself, not from a religious perspective, because all of it, to me, I'm a Muslim, so I believe all of Islam is a miracle. But I'm, I just come out, of the, I come out of the perspective of a Muslim and I start thinking about things from like a historical, from like a, you know, from like a, a, a political, historical perspective, how could something like this from the desert like spread like this? And then when I read the teachings of Islam, it's, everything is clear to me. These were such pure souls. They were saints. Every single one of them were a saint. He was like an angel. What type of human being has nothing in his heart for another person? What, everybody has something. We all have something in our hearts. But look at the prophetic teaching. These people were like walking angels. How can, how can angels go to a place and the people do not follow them? They were not normal human beings. And this is, my, this is, the, this is, the, this is like the conclusions that I drew, that when you, when you actually read the teachings of Islam, I'm not talking about CNN and Fox News Islam. I'm not talking about Fox News Islam. I'm talking about hadith and Quran and prophetic teachings. Actually go in the hadith and see what, what is the prophet teaching. This is a violent man. This is a, a hungry warlord, bloodthirsty warlord. He wants to conquer everybody. Who's telling his companions, it is enough evil for you that you should have and look, not even like hatred. He's saying, look down on somebody. It's enough evil. That's enough to destroy you. Khalas, you don't need anything else. You don't need to kill or murder or rob or cheat or lie. You're clean. All you need to destroy you is that in your heart you look down upon another person. And he's like, what heart is that? What heart is that? I don't have that. 
I make dua that I have that. I work on myself that I have that. But we have to, when we, this is why these ahadith are so essential. It takes us back to the real teaching of the Prophet ﷺ, which so many people are completely unmindful of that. What, our, what moral standard our Prophet called us to. The bar, he put it very high. I cannot reach that. It's so high that I cannot reach that. But we have to try. You know? They say aim for the stars and you at least hit the roof. You know? You, just at, you have to at least try. You're going to get somewhere. But then I imagine to myself, why was it that wherever these companions went, Islam flourished? Wherever they went, Islam flourished. is because they had purified these hearts. They had become a real human. They had become, you know, human 2.0. You know, with all this Elon Musk and all these people, they're trying to make human beings with microchips in them. That's not human. That's subhuman 0.0. You know, Nabi Muhammad وسلم, he came, he made, he was working on humans 2.0, 5.0. Humans that in their heart, they will not harbor enmity or hatred or jealousy or have an intention of harm for any creature. This is a human 5.0. And this, what they're trying to create, is human 0.5. 0. 100 negative they're taking they're not taking they're not making human beings they're making subhuman they're, they're taking people away from humanity a robot that doesn't have feeling that doesn't have emotion that doesn't recognize God that doesn't know Hukukullah or Hukukul Ibad all it knows is how to fulfill a function to do a service we don't need computers we need human beings we need human beings. Yeah, computers we use for, mashallah, making life easy. And how, how is that going for us? Making life easy. How is, that, how is that going for humanity? You have a bunch of lazy, you know, this, this, this new generation is, you can see how, how well that's going. So if this was a social experiment, you know, I, I, would, I, would give my, I would give my comment on it that I think the experiment is, is not, you know, maybe we should reconsider. It is sufficient of an evil for a person that he should despise or look down upon another Muslim. Every, remember, I'm just going over the previous hadith so I can set you up for today's hadith. Because today's hadith is, the, is we call, you call the addendum. Today's hadith is the addendum of last week's hadith. This is last week's hadith. And then he says, every Muslim for another Muslim is sanctified and sacred. When you see another Muslim, you have to see somebody who is very, very sanctified, very special, very, very sacred. Everything of a Muslim is sacred. Irduhu, damuhu, wa maluhu wa irduhu. Damuhu, wa maluhu wa irduhu. His life, his wealth, and his honor. In any of these three things, you cannot harm and you cannot breach. You cannot breach the life of a Muslim. It is sanctified. As the Prophet said, if we want to know what is the meaning of this, it's like somebody going, and it is said in a hadith that 
the Kaaba can be dismantled brick by brick, it is easier upon Allah that the Kaaba be dismantled brick by brick than for a Muslim to be killed unjustly. It is easier for Allah. Yani, it is lighter as its own. That uh, it's also a sin. Don't get me wrong. That's also sanctified. But it is lighter that the Kaaba be dismantled brick by brick than for a believer who is innocent should his life be taken. Yani, this life is so sacred that it's being yani, given sanctity. Do we know what is sanctity? It's something holy. It is something special. It is something so honored and revered, you cannot touch it with disrespect. Just as you cannot touch the Kaaba with disrespect. Just like you cannot touch the Kaaba with disrespect. The ulama mentioned that when you spread spreading the feet towards the Qibla, this is a sin. This is makru. This is dislike to spread the feet towards the direction of the place that you pray. Or spitting towards the direction of the place that you pray. The hadith is mentioned in Abu Dawood. To not spit in the direction of the Qibla. Because this is the direction we pray. This is our Qibla. It's our, our, our direction. Right? Similarly, it is just as reprehensible and disliked to spread your feet towards a believer. Because this is something, this person is a, something of honor. With that being said, now the hadith we're going to read today, it's also lengthy, but I want to, I want to call this the addendum. Yani an additional, additional points to the previous one. And that is why Imam al-Nawawi, he has brought this hadith after this previous one. That one is like, imagine if you implement that in society. In a family. In a community. In your life, you don't have jealousy or hatred. You don't turn back to one another. You help one another. You live as brothers and, and helping one another. You don't look down on one another. You're all constantly putting each other up. You're not putting each other down. Imagine in a family you have that. Imagine in a community you have that. If the community would be Jannah. What is Jannah? Salamun qawlan min Rabbir Rahim. What is the name? Do you, know, do, you, do you all know what is the name of Jannah? What's the name of Jannah? Darus Salam. Lahum Darus Salam inna Rabbihim. Allah Ta'ala calls paradise the abode of peace. And anywhere that you implement this, these teachings, that will also become the abode of peace. That will become like little paradise on earth. This is one of the reasons the Mashaykh say that between my mimbar and my grave is a garden from the gardens of paradise. What is the deeper meaning of that? You know, you go to Medina and then there's the hadith. Right? How everybody, I'm going to pray. I want to pray in the green carpet. I want to pray in the green carpet. Do you even know what this hadith means? That the people of Jannah prayed here. This area was a place where it was a no hate zone. It was a peace zone. It was an ibadah zone. It was a righteous zone. It was a zone where everybody had love for one another. It was a zone in which every person treated another like their own brother. It was a zone where everybody had nasiha and concern and mahabba and love for the sake of Allah. That zone had become like a piece of paradise on earth through their deeds, through their actions. This has also been mentioned by some of the akabir, mashayikh, 
Mashayikh of Tasawwuf. Those are the only ones that tr truly look in the deeper meanings. Otherwise, what do people want to do? Right? They want to rip the carpet, and when they go outside, now they're going with the same hatred, and the same envy, and the same tahqir, <laughs> and despising, and disdain, and they're very happy that I, played on, I prayed on a piece of Jannah. You prayed on a piece of Jannah. How did that place become a piece of Jannah? Because the people of Jannah were there. Those who had the qualities of the people of Jannah prayed there and lived there and dwelled there. The Prophet said, when you go to the dwellings of those people who have disobeyed Allah and were destroyed by Allah, cover your face and do not pass by that place with dry eyes, otherwise the same punishment will come upon you. What does this teach us? that the people who did the actions of evil, that place became a place of evil. That place became a place of the descent of, of Allah's wrath. And the place where the people were worshipping Allah and obeying Him, and they were implementing the actions of the people of paradise, that piece of land also became like a piece of paradise. May Allah reward the mashayikh, the mashayikh, the true uh, Ahlullah who understood the deeper meanings of these, otherwise we would just be, right, go there, kiss the ground, and go back, right, with all the hatred, and enmity, and nationalism, and hatred, and disdain, and envy, and jealousy, and all the other things that we have in our hearts, but very happy that I, I prayed in a portion of Jannah. What does that mean that that place is a portion of Jannah? As an addendum, now comes this hadith. مَن نَفَّسَ عَن مُؤْمِنٍ كُرْبَةً مِن كُرَبِ الدُّنْيَا Anyone who removes a hardship from the hardships of this life upon from a believer. Allah will remove from him a worry or a distress or a difficulty from the distresses and difficulties of Yawm Al-Qiyamah of the Day of Judgment. This is an addendum. You see how, what is the meaning of Kunu Ibad Allahi Ikhwana? Right? In the previous hadith, it said, be as brothers to one another, slaves of Allah, as brothers. Live together as brothers. But what does that mean? How should we do that? Here is the next hadith, as in some additional points. The one who removes from his brother or sister a distress from the distresses of this world, Allah will remove a distress from him from the distresses of the Day of Judgment. What does this teach us? Any difficulty that you remove, any hardship that you relieve someone of, what is that? Understand that it will come on the Day of Judgment in the most beautiful form. If you want a lighter load on the Day of Judgment, lighten the people's load in this life. If you want Allah to go easy upon you on the Day of Judgment, go easy upon people in this life. <laughs> and anyone who goes easy and the mu'sir here is somebody who is in financial difficulties somebody who owes you money this specifically is not just talking about going easy on anybody it's specifically somebody that for example is having trouble paying back a debt this is what the ulama have mentioned Mullah Liqari says, 
من تعسر عليه عليه دين وتعسر عليه قضاؤه فيسر عليه بالانذار او او بالابراء what does he do either he gives him more respite say okay don't worry pay me back whenever you get the chance or forget about it you don't have to pay me at all either one either give him more time or completely forgive it it's not binding you don't have to do this it's your right it's your money it's your wealth but this is a way where you can get ajr and then what will Allah Ta'ala say to you on the day of judgment he said don't worry you owe me you owe me this many salats you owe me this many zakats you owe me you owe me this that and the other but you forgave others who owed you I will forgive you who you owed me I will forgive you what you owed me because you forgave what others owed you this is something very great you don't have to it's your haq even on the day of judgment you don't have to but you don't want to be that way because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give that person what he wants and Allah ta'ala can put you in Jannah when you're in Jannah they get chibikhai they got bodazu greedy even on that day chibikuni what are you going to do what are you going to do with five, $500 on Yawm Al-Qiyamah you're going to Jannah anyways why you just don't forgive the guy so some people are like even on that day they don't want to let it go Allah has given a person their right though Allah has given a person their right. But my way of looking at it is, farahiyya dil. Right? Having the openness of heart. That if Allah Ta'ala is going to give me Jannah, dunya raft, guzasht. The matters of this life passed, it's gone. Life is done. We needed it here. And the person who did that injustice, you know, he harmed himself, he destroyed himself. The person who withheld the haq of somebody else in this life, Allah Ta'ala will not forgive the rights of others. Let's remember this one. Allah does not forgive the rights of others. Why? It's because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is not in need. But human beings are in need. Allah doesn't need my $500. If I don't pay my zakat, Allah can forgive me. Allah most likely will forgive you. But you take $500, $700 or $1 of somebody else, maybe that $1 for that person, they need it. Maybe that $500, they need it. That's their, you know, I don't know, that's their phone bill or something. Maybe that's their water bill. Maybe that's their electric bill. They need it. Allah doesn't need it, but another person needs it. You don't have a right to take somebody else's haq. They're dependent on that to survive. Another point to understand, subhanAllah, in hajj, hajj is not binding upon a person whose wealth is occupied with the debt of someone else. Meaning if you owe somebody else money, you got to pay that person first before going for hajj. Why? Because Allah said, I forego my right. Hajj is my right. And the money you owe is Zaid's or Abdullah's right. I don't need, I don't need you and I don't need your hajj. But that person needs his money. Because we're, we're, we're weak, we're slaves. We need, we, need our, we need our money to survive. That's how we function in this world. A lot of brothers and sisters, they ask this of me. Shaykh so-and-so gave me my money. I want to forgive him for the sake of Allah, but I don't know what to do. I'm in a dilemma. I said, you don't need to forgive anybody for the sake of Allah. That's your haq. Yani Allah doesn't, doesn't demand of you that you have to, especially when you're in need of it. If you do, this is a great ajr. But the, per, the, per, the, the point is, is, that person is feeling guilty because somebody else stole his money. Why do you feel guilty? You have a right. Allah has given you a right to demand your haq. 
In Islam, you can take a person to court to take your right from somebody. Why do you feel guilty? He's the person that should feel guilty. That's the person that has taken the right of somebody else. However, if a person wants to be you know, angelic, if a person wants to be prophetic, if a person says, Ya Allah, I have no good deeds. I have not done anything good in my life. I forgive this person, you forgive me. Inshallah, that will be your, your pathway to Jannah. Allah has made different, different ways of different people entering into paradise. So my point here is, yes, it's absolutely, it's good to forgive. But the rights of others, this is what a right is. We have to understand with a previous hadith, what did it say? The previous hadith said, do not breach the wealth of somebody else. Do not usurp the wealth of somebody else. Don't play around with people's money. Bro, please. So many Muslims are doing this. Don't play around with people's money. Don't play when it comes to money because Allah will hold you away from Jannah for a single dollar. He will. And He can. That is His justice. I tell my, those people who are connected to me, don't play with money. Just today, you know what I heard? Person, yeah, you owe me $500. The guy is just, I just asked him, he said, you got any kites? You know, Afghan kites? People in Afghanistan love to fly kites. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a national pastime. And they make these special, you know, paths, and then they like fight kites and stuff. People still do it. So he said, I just asked the person, I said, hey, uh, how much of these kites cost? Oh, I got you. I got you, bro. I got you. He said, what? I got, you got me what? Like, I didn't even. He said, he comes and DHLs me like $500 worth of like these kites. He said, okay, you can just, you know, sell me or whatever is easy for you. Just $500. I go, what? I don't, I didn't, I didn't buy anything. He said, what are you talking about? You didn't buy it. You said you wanted this and I sent it to you. I said, bro, I don't want anything. So the guy, he's feeling guilty. That do I owe him? I said, you don't owe him anything. I said, in Islam, how a transaction is done is you verbally is supposed to make an agreement. Or through action, like you go to the store, and you scan something, that's berto washtaraitu. You go, by your action, you scan something, you buy it, and then you put your card in you. That's a, that's, a, that's a transaction. Or it has to be done verbally, or physically. Either physical, or verbal transaction has to be made. Not this, that, hey bro, do you, do, you, do, you know, do you have any iPhones? Don't worry bro, I got you covered. What? Don't worry bro, like five iPhones come in my thing, yeah, you owe me $1,600 or something. The wealth of a person is not permissible and lawful for you to take until you take it with agreement and a complete pleasure from the heart of that person. Are you okay with it? Are you fine with it? Do you accept this transaction? Should I send it to you? How many should I send to you? Okay, each one costs this. Do you agree with that? This is how you, all the terms have to be clear. So people are calling me up and then he said, and this person is so pious. He doesn't miss a single prayer in the masjid and he this and this. And he's telling me all of his qualifications. That you look at his qualifications, you think he's subhanAllah, Imam Mahdi. Right? But if you, you know, if you see like what type of things he's doing, this guy is like a devil. How he's like pulling a fast one on people. He said, I got a DHL box like a week later after I asked him about the Guli Paran. 
You understand what I'm saying? People do things like this. And then that person is feeling bad. And he's asking me, do I owe you don't owe him anything? You don't owe the person anything. And this is not even a valid transaction. It is not even permissible in Islam, such a transaction. It's invalid. It doesn't even go through. It's not even, it's not even, this, this is not, there's no contract here. There's no transaction even. He just sent something. It's a, it, it, for, for all your concern, you can take that as a hadiyah. Oh, thanks. Thank you for the gift. I never said I owe you any. You never, you never said you, I, how much it is. You, get, you just send a hadiyah to my house. Thank you very much. I'll keep it. So don't do that either. So here the Prophet is telling us, anyone who goes easy upon somebody who owes money, either by forgiving the debt or by giving him respite, Allah will go easy for him, on him on the Day of Judgment. And anyone who covers and conceals the faults of a Muslim, Allah will conceal the faults of this person in this life and in the hereafter. SubhanAllah. How much we are in need of our sins and our mistakes to be concealed. If we want our sins and our mistakes to be concealed, we should be concerned about covering other people's faults. And now we're living in that day and age that for the smallest thing, you know, we're gaslighting people. Gaslighting is like the, you know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the social media pastime now. You understand? Social media pastime, trolling, gaslighting, tearing people up for no, no apparent reason. Hide people's faults. Because you will be dealt with the same way. The same way that you treat others, this is the way that you will be treated. Be very aware of this. And Allah is in the assistance of, a, of someone as long as they're in the assistance of their brother. As long as you are in the assistance of people, Allah will be assisting you. As long as you're constantly helping people, Allah will constantly help you. Sometimes from where you cannot even imagine. An angel comes out of nowhere, some person, and they'll be helping you out. And you're like, where did this guy come from? He just helped me out of nowhere. It's because of the help that you have given to other people. The beginning part of this hadith teaches us a very important point, is that Allah's treatment of us will be in accordance with our treatment of others. How you treat the believers, this is how Allah will treat you. Certain people, Allah give them honor. It's because they are humble and they show honor to everyone. Some people, Allah dishonors them. It's because they think they're all that and they completely disregard everybody else. You receive in this life, it's like, you know, what they call karma, right? Instant karma. You know, this is how you treat people, this is how you get treated. This is the way of the world. This is the way of the world. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَحَّلَ اللَّهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ And anyone who seeks a path to gain knowledge, Allah will make his path easy to Jannah. There's a couple of meanings in this hadith, but I take one meaning is that when you're seeking knowledge, why does your path to Jannah becomes easy? Because when a person is ignorant, he does all of those things that makes Jannah more distant and distant and distant. 
Hafiz Sahib, you understanding this point? This is a very important point. Why does it say, Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilman sahalallahu bihi tariqan ilal jannah? Why does Allah Ta'ala make a person's path easy to Jannah when they seek knowledge? Because with knowledge, you learn all of those things that makes Jannah accessible. And with ignorance, you become more and more distant from those things that make Jannah accessible. True or false? Ignorant people, they're always in problems. Wallahi, I deal with ignorant people every single day. And they're always in problems. They're always doing things that put them in Jahannam. Either by their tongue, or by their action, or by their words, or by their deeds. And it's all ignorance. All of it is ignorance. And when you have knowledge, knowledge takes you to those things that make Jannah more and more accessible. That is why the one who seeks a path to gain knowledge, Allah makes his way easier to paradise. Because then paradise becomes at the tips of your fingers. You know what is the way to go to paradise? And what is the way to stay away from hell? If you don't have knowledge, how will you know that? You won't know it. You're doing all these stupid things that's making hellfire binding on you. That's making Jannah more distant upon you. That's making Jannah unaccessible. And that's making hellfires accessible. And any group of people who gather together in the house of Allah reading the Qur'an and studying the Qur'an except that tranquility descends upon them and mercy envelops them and angels surround them and Allah remembers them with a nobler gathering which is with Him. And this now shows us, subhanAllah, these gatherings, subhanAllah, these are the gatherings where we're discussing Qur'an. These are the concepts of the Qur'an. These are the concepts of Islam. These are the concepts of right, our deen. When people gather together to study this, what happens? SubhanAllah, this is what happens. Tranquility descends. You are covered and enveloped by Allah's mercy. You are surrounded by angels. And Allah Ta'ala is remembering this gathering right now. This gathering, yes. This is why these gatherings, brothers and sisters, this is, this is the, actually the key to solving so many of our issues and problems. I have seen, Wallahi, I have seen this. This is my own experience. People who just attend, they just come and they attend. Their understanding, their life, their everything gets better. Things change. I've seen people's life change just by them coming and attending, doing nothing, just sitting in these gatherings. How can it not be when Allah's mercy is descending? How can it not be when tranquility is descending? How can it not be when the angels are surrounding you? How can it not be when Allah is remembering you? cannot be that you come in these gatherings, the gatherings of Qur'an, the gatherings of Islam, the gatherings of Iman, and you don't increase. And I, I tell you the exact opposite of this. Go to those gatherings where the Qur'an or Deen or Iman is not being mentioned. You will see the exact opposite of it. Restlessness descends. Restlessness descends. Sadness and grief descends. Depression descends. You're surrounded by devils. You're surrounded by people who want to pull a fast one on you. You're surrounded by ignorance. You're surrounded by darkness. And you leave and you feel dark inside your heart. You don't feel good. You leave this gathering, you leave more wiser. You leave more intelligent. You leave more enlightened. Is this true or not true? You leave with more understanding of the world and, your, and yourself. 
The proof is in the pudding. You just look at it. It's in there. وَمَنْ بَطَّأَ بِهِ عَمَلُهُ لَمْ يُسْرِعْ بِهِ نَصَبُهُ And the Prophet ends this hadith saying, and the one who is slowed down by his actions will not be propped up by his lineage. تُنَاقُوا كَبَادَرَمْ سُلْطَانْ بُوتْ Some people say, پَادَرَمْ سُلْطَانْ بُوتْ خُوتُ پَادَرَتْ سُلْطَانْ بُوتْ تُوْتْشِيْسْتِ پَادَرَمْ إِمَامَ مَجِدَ پُلِ خِشْتِ بُوتْ Right? Everybody says, my, my father was this, my father was a king, my father was the prime minister of Timbuktu, or whatever. Like, and it's just various different types of things people just make up. Your, your father, what are, you, what are you doing? What have you achieved? What have you accomplished? What good have you done in, in your life? SubhanAllah. What are you worried about who is your father? If you're the father of yourself, this is what, who a true man is. Subhanallah. It, you are the father of yourself. Yani, you are the, the one who has accomplished something yourself. This is a true man. Not somebody who's taking pride in the actions of his father and he himself has no actions. But yes, if you're taking pride, or not, I don't like the word pride, if you're taking inspiration from your father, this is something very good. Oh, my father was a very, very generous man. I also want to be generous. My father was a very, very humble man. I also want to have humility. My father was a very successful man. I also want to follow. My father was an educated man. I also want to... That's good. That's good. But not like, oh yeah, my father was a great man and I'm going to be a jerk. I'm going to use that to put myself up to do nothing. That the Prophet said, Beware. مَنْ بِهِ عَمَلُهُ لَمْ بِهِ نَسَبُهُ the one who is slowed down by his actions will not be propped up by his lineage. You're not going to be put up by your lineage if your actions are slowing you down. You need to pick up on your deeds, bro. Bilal radiallahu anhu. You know what Bilal ibn Abi Rabah is? Ibn Abi Rabah means the son of the unknown. He's the son of the unknown. He doesn't know what is his lineage. He doesn't know. He was a slave. But he has a status that the Prophet said, I hear your footsteps in front of me, O Bilal. I hear your footsteps in Jannah, O Bilal. He said, yes, because every time my wudu, I'm always in wudu. And when I break my wudu, then I make wudu again, and I perform two rakats nafil. He said, this is what you do. Amal, action. Not saying my father, he doesn't even know who his father is. He doesn't know what is his nasab. The nasab of Abu Dahab is a greater nasab. He was a Qurashi, he was a Hashimi, he was a Makki, isn't he? Well, who was Bilal radiallahu anhu, right? He doesn't know what, he was a Habashi. But a Habashi of such a maqam that Allah took the man from Abyssinia to the highest ranks of paradise. And Allah took that man of Quraysh and took him to the depths of hellfire. Tabbat yada Abi Lahabin watab. Destroyed as Abu Lahab. May Allah give us the understanding to implement these powerful teachings in our lives and bring it into our character that we adopt it. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashidu al-da'ayat. Astaghfirullah.